Hello again, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knutson with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 155. Hope everybody had a good uh, Memorial Day. It's a real special day for a lot of people, and, uh, and uh, I hope that everybody took the full measure of what it's all about. In today's uh, episode, I'm going to have a brief G update and then address uh, three listener questions. And they're generally questions that I get that I know there's probably a lot of other people with something similar that it may be helpful. So that's going to be today's. Uh, The G update is that there's not too much to update other than, uh, you know, we're just, we're tootling along. She has had some uh, mild color conditioning which is very helpful. Uh, she's t- taken to that, that level of that kind of pressure just really well. It's not very much appropriately timed. She's real good with that. Her obedience is good. She's still kind of, we still bumping through force fetch. She's just got a slow response to that. And no, I do not use the electric collar with that. Uh, and you know, I'm just gonna, I don't know what it is because her sister doesn't have that at all. Her sister's already just popping it off the ground real easy. The, uh, on marks, I would say she's doing extremely well. Uh, she'll retrieve any bird, any distance. She's running the marks that the big dogs are all running. So that's doing real well. And of course, we're still going through the upland field. It's been so wet here. I have not put birds out for a little bit. And I don't want them to get wet and then stick after she's learned the joy of grabbing a couple times. So as soon as things dry out just a little bit, we've gotten three times as much rain as Seattle, oddly, here in uh the Denver area. So that's good, but not good when you're planting birds in it. So everything is going real well with her. Um, the, uh, the progress on the audiobook is sailing along. I've gotten maybe two thirds of it now. Um, it's just amazing. It's like, I'm reading it all again and, and it makes me want to update stuff and add more things that I've (laughs) come up with since I wrote that. But anyway, that's going along. I hope to have that available because Amazon and the other suppliers have made it real difficult just to sell my book on Amazon. People are people are buying used ones and then selling them for 25% more than I sell a brand new book. So I just if anybody, you know, it's Canutes and Enterprises, I'm going to switch it over to my Bates work thing for the company name trying to get a new supplier on there, but there's people that are uh, really taking advantage of the difficulty of getting that book and it shouldn't be difficult at all. I would send it to you the next day you ordered it um, if it just came directly to me instead of somebody else that's making more profit off of this. So that's the latest on those things. Um, so one of the, the first question I want to get to is uh, a question about happy bumpers. Uh, and of course, I mentioned that, I realize now all through the book and stuff. And, and then when I get dogs in, boy, you can tell exactly where people threw happy bumpers and what for. So I, I want to just address the question was, what are, you know, what do you use happy bumpers for? What is it and what do you use it for? So assuming your dog likes to retrieve, otherwise the bumper won't be very interesting. A happy bumper is during your training at some point or during your interactions with the dog. It's when you kind of have a no rules throw. So you have the, your, your bumper in your pocket or wherever you've got it and you whip it out and you show it in front of them. I like to rub it on them or thump them with it, get them excited and then throw that thing. And they run out and get it and run back. And there's no rules. You know, you're not making them be steady and you're not making them come in heel set and deliver to hand. It's a 
pressure relief or a stress relief activity. So when you've been doing things that are very intense and very challenging on the dog, then this is a way to at least exhaust some of that pent-up energy that they might have over trying really hard over some unnatural things. It's a good thing to do sometimes before obedience or after obedience, but it, is, it should serve a purpose. And I think a lot of times they're just fun for people. To uh, It's just fun to be able to throw a bumper and have your dog be all crazy. Maybe more of a stress relief for for you. And then the dog is like, oh, this is so hard. I don't like doing this. Hey, and throwing it. But it really should serve a purpose. Because if you do it just to do it, then sometimes you can create some responses that you don't want. So let me give an example. Let's just talk about force fetch. Um, so when you do force fetch, you do some obedience. And then you do some obedience with hold. And then you get into whatever level of enforcement of teaching the dog to reach for it that you do. And it's a very unnatural thing and it's a very focused thing and there and there's not a lot of movement to it other than you know either reaching or bending down or something so it can be very challenging mentally and physically for a dog so it's hard for him it's a stressful thing so you got to do it you know judiciously and do just enough and not too much and at the same time don't do too little because then they won't take it seriously but when you've put them under that kind of deal and and so they're a little bit you know, like, oh, wow, are we done? Then if you throw a happy bumper or two, you get the bumper out, even though, you know, the one they've been, you've been using to force fetch them with, and you rub it on them, and you, you know, you thump them, and if you do that kind of thing with your dog, I like to do it, thump them, and then just throw it out any one direction or another. And they're just like, oh, there are no rules, I can go get it, and they come, and whether they, it doesn't matter what they do, even if they run out there and don't pick it up, go out there, pick it up again, throw it, see if you can get them to do it. But it is a pressure relief thing. So if you're someplace where you don't need that, then don't do that, because it could communicate just like, woohoo, we're just having a good time now, don't even worry about it, And when you're not wanting them to feel that way. So it's, it's, to be used when the dog needs to just have a little bit of stress relief and just a little bit of happy things and you don't do it over and over and over and over you do it just a few times you know so that until they're like showing you that they're relieved and then you you stop if you just do happy bumpers all the time then retrieving becomes this uh, no rules crazy thing and so then suddenly when they get a little bit older and you're trying to, to you know, sit, make them sit and watch and go out and come directly back, you know, they're going, oh, no, 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 this is not what we do. Well, I like to run out there and watch where, you know, and then you throw it whichever direction I ran. So you can create a lot of condition responses in a dog that you will not find useful later on. And, and the other thing, I'm going to say this about happy bumpers, and I think I've mentioned this before in a few podcast but if you always throw them the same way and everybody has a way they throw a bumper you know if you're facing north you like to throw it underhanded to the northeast um, or you like to throw it underhanded you know to the west you have something that you like to do and so your dog learns if you do that repetitively whenever you're facing one direction take a hard left or a hard right because they're gonna that's the direction it's gonna go so they don't watch you and watch where this thing is going. They just expect it to appear in front of them. So when you do do your judiciously planned happy bumpers, 
Do them differently so that you teach the dog not to just, well, but to actually watch and pay attention to you and see which direction it goes because it's always something different. That way, we're just working on the focus and the, not just as soon as you pick up a bumper and go, hey, hey, they're heading off 45 degrees to a certain angle because that's always where it is. Because then they'll just start doing that. And then I get them in all the time. I can tell just where their owner threw stuff. So I, it takes me literally weeks or even longer, you know, to get them to, no, I'm not throwing it that way. I just threw it the opposite way. You didn't even see it. So happy bumpers serve a purpose. And so use them to relieve stress and to kind of lighten the situation, but don't use them just to have fun or exercise or begin to, you know, the more you, you have them do it, the more that burns into their synapse passes that retrieving is this, whoa, wild thing. And you, you don't focus and look where stuff is. So I would be, I would be cautious about that. The other thing, when you do throw happy bumpers, I would be a little bit careful if they come in and they either spit it out at you or you get it from them and then they head off in the direction again, waiting to field it when you throw it then they're controlling the situation. So make sure that if you're going to do a couple happy throws and they come back, that they aren't running out fielding, but looking to you to see where it goes. So you're still in control of this stress relieving situation. So happy bumpers serve a purpose. Don't have it be your purpose to relieve your stress. You know, if your dog is doing fine, coming off of whatever training you're doing you know you people like to i see them they come off the mark uh, line running marks or blinds and throw a happy bumper I, I i don't ever do that one when we come off the line we don't go running wild right we come off the line after running marks or blinds or both and then we go back and stake out or get our water or whatever people come back and start throwing happy bumpers so the dog comes off the line and is wild and crazy that helps nothing and they don't need a happy bumper. If you just ran, say you, you ran, you know, four or five blinds out there, cold blinds, you're practicing all that kind of stuff. Don't just finish and then start throwing happy bumpers. If, if it was a tough situation or a little bit difficult, instead of making them crazy, just let them kind of settle and steep a little bit. Hopefully you ended on an uptick on whatever you were doing. But coming off the line and happy bumpers, there's I there's I can't see any reason for that anywhere. You know, if your dog's a little bit stressed over what happened, then take him for a little walk or something. But the crazy thing, you know, their brain prefers that over the focus deal. So when you have a focus problem where you were doing hard stuff and then you just let them get crazy, sometimes the crazy is what's left with them instead of what you needed them to get from your session of blinds. So be just be thoughtful about your uh, use of happy bumpers. They have a purpose, but not as often as I think a lot of people do. And some people don't do them at all. And sometimes dogs need a little bit of stress relief and a little bit of lightening up on, when something's been kind of challenging. Or you made a mistake. You know, you, you overdid something and you're worried about them. Get a happy bumper. There have been a few times when I'm on the double T running that where a dog gets a little confused or shaken or out running blinds where they got just kind of where they lost things. I'll throw a happy bumper right in the middle of that and then come back and finish what we're doing. And I just got their head from being in the panic spot back into a place where they were engaged with me again. So those are the kind of things that happy bumpers uh, can be really helpful for. All right. I have one here on that came in. 
a dog, a puppy that's 20 weeks old, so about five months. And I'm going to quote it. He's doing great until just recently. Five months is the time for that. Doing great until now. All of a sudden, he's getting bossy and licking birds rather than retrieving them to me. <laughs> Any suggestions? Bumpers and dummies are fine. It's just with live birds. Um, I'm, I'm doing my best not to be critical and let a puppy be a puppy. But, you know, he's, he's getting out a puppy. So this is, it's hard to comment on this, like I had told him, if I haven't, you know, seen this, but this is pretty normal. So it's going to fall, I'm going to guess, somewhere in the area of him becoming a teenager and not being as concerned as he probably should be with what you want. And I went through this with G when... Um, as a little one, oh, she's great. She would retrieve just whatever. She was so good at it. And then she stopped bringing stuff back, and particularly the birds. I wouldn't, she didn't lick them. She just took them, <laughs> and they were hers, and she went the other direction. And so instead of, I didn't get mad, and I didn't punish her for, you know, wanting birds because I want her to want birds. So we, I just stopped the retrieving of birds and bumpers even, and, and went back and changed her attitude toward me. And I did that with uh, obedience and very strict obedience, you know, enforcing with my, my plastic bat and very strict, like really making her have to dig in. And then I would throw some bumpers and I would, ha I had my long cord and by golly, she was coming back and now with or without it. So I changed her attitude toward me to make her take me a little more seriously. And then when we went back out to the bird retrieving, that translated over. And I filmed all that. All of a sudden, I'm very happy because we actually shot a bird and she brought it right back to me and has ever since. So that's a very, very normal thing. And it's more about their attitude toward you than it is uh, anything else. So remove yourself from the problem, the retrieving the bird thing, get the attitude uh, readjusted, and everything will clear up. Like I said, I went through that with G a couple times and talked about it and stuff. And so it's just, it's just very normal. All right. Uh, the third question uh, was a question and then kind of been a raft of this stuff lately with some of my clients too. So we're going to talk about... Um, just the aspect of dealing with failure in competition. And I, I know a bunch of people listening go, she's talking to me. It's me. There's a lot of people. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I failed a, a couple dogs, a couple things. So I can speak from firsthand experience about failure and dealing with failure. But I want, this isn't going to be like a pep talk. You know, it's not going to be, ah, get back in the game. I I'm going to talk about what the purpose of failure is and what to do with it, in my opinion. You know, having, if you compete in anything, anywhere, anytime, there will be failures. There will be times when you did not meet your goal or, or finish the race or get to the end of the series or whatever it is. That's part of doing anything, and everybody knows that. And again, this isn't a lecture, and this isn't a, a pep talk. But what it is, is when, because it's the nature of the game, competitive, even on the pass-fail stuff, it's still competitive if you were one of the passes or you're one of the fails. 
it's the nature of the game that sometimes events accrue. Things happen and they aren't what you wanted them to be. So let's, it's important that we kind of, let me break this down. Failure isn't like a measure of any of us, but necessarily. If you're just a terrible trainer of a dog and, or you have just a terrible dog, well then, okay, failure is kind of a measure of you're not doing it right, but that's not really who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who have had success and been successful and maybe been very successful. And so they are good dog trainers and they do have good animals. And that's mostly who I'm, if not everyone that I'm talking to on here. And yet failure happens. So what do you do with that? When you have success, let's just talk about that first. When you go to whatever it is that you're doing and you enter whatever event, whatever level it is, and then you complete whatever it is, whether it's a pass fail, you get through all of the series, or if it's a, you know, a place placing thing, you get a ribbon of some sort. Okay. When you're successful, that means that given the setup for that event and the judges and the day and the weather and the mindset of your dog and the mindset of you and the interactions between you, that they all worked out enough at least to get to the end and be successful. All of those things were in place. Many times when you are, it's a beautiful place and the, the setup is conducive to what you like and what your dog is used to and you have good judges and everything is good. Your dog is prepared. You're in a good way. Your interactions are good. And then the wind changes and suddenly on the way to your long bird, you, you smell the short bird. And so a bunch of dogs have to get handled or something happens. So the, the wind changed and there were some failures that were not earned failures. They weren't earned. They, they were awarded. You know, it's like fate came in and said, nah, not you. And then six dogs later, the wind switched back again. And then everybody was nailing the long bird and not winning the short bird. Okay. Those kind of things happen. It is no fun to be one of the people that were, was unlucky. So there is a luck factor in all of these events for Upland stuff. You know, maybe when they planted birds, it was the three crazy ones or the four crazy birds. And I mean, they're just not right in the head. So they either just dug down in a hole and couldn't be found, or they, they got up and were running out of the field. So maybe you got unlucky and got the three worst birds possible for your plant. And you were unlucky. And unluck happens. Just like the opposite of that, luck happens. <laughs> so if you were one of the unlucky guys that ran when the wind had switched, so you were smelling all the short birds on your way to the long bird, and then you're the first guy that ran after it switched back, so you didn't smell any of that on your way to the long bird, right? That, then you got, you're lucky. That was lucky. Luck came in on your side, right? There's, there's nothing you could have done to prevent or to make any of those things happen. It just, it was the circumstances that were beyond your control. That's called luck. Could be good, could be bad. So that's all a part of that. And getting emotional about something that you have no control over, 
Um, some may be understandable, but it doesn't do you any good. So being emotional over something over which you have no control is probably going to be very detrimental to you and your dog and your next training session. And I, I've seen that a lot of times where people get mad, especially, especially if you look bad. If your dog goes, unless you're used to it, <laughs> if if you your dog goes out there and just just looks like you haven't trained them and they just look bad, boy, I've heard so many people on Monday we're gonna go over this and that. Again, now we got negative emotion over something that you really didn't have any control over. You know, your dog just fritzed out or you know had a just a brain thing that just didn't work the way you wanted and so you go punish them the next day because they're gonna they're gonna feel the humiliation that you did hey no that's of no value that's of that only hurts things it never makes anything any better usually emotion in this game other than happiness <laughs> uh is not real useful you really have to look at things very very clearly now other aspects of failure you got the luck lucky unlucky you got circumstances stuff happens that's the way it is then there's the element that you often um is useful to look into and i i say this from having competed all of my life and had some wonderful successes and had some heartbreaking failures or miss ones i just didn't understand it they're all bad okay every failure is bad i get that i can't stand it now any more than i could in the very beginning but one thing that I have been forced to learn in dealing with running so many dogs for so long and having, you know, failures when, it, and I'm paid to be successful. I'm paid. If I go fail with my own dog, okay. But I, I have other people's dogs. And so I'm paid to be successful, as, as successful as possible. So what do I do with a failure? What, what do we do with failures? Generally. A failure in a test, if it isn't, you know, that the wind changed or your bird rolled into a hole, if it isn't one of those things over which you have no control, generally when you have failures, there was something that needed to be present, whether it is in the preparation of the dog or in the running of the dog on that day or the handling of the dog on that particular setup, whatever it is, something needed to be present that was not and so if you do if you get the emotion thing and you we want to do the blame thing well that's because you ran the dog all week and then i ran him today and you messed him up it, if it's going to be the blame thing i'm not going to address that um you know that's a personal deal has nothing to do with being successful at this it, the blame game, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you really want to analyze the failure and do the best you can to not have it be repeated, then what you want to do instead of blaming somebody else and making it their fault, then you change nothing, right? Nothing, whatever caused all that, you're not really doing anything about. You're just venting. And you're either venting against other people or the next training session, you vent against your dog. But a failure meant something was not present. And again, I'm going to say it again, in the preparation leading up to that, in the execution at the line, the handling of the dog when they're out there, somewhere in those places, something was not what it needed to be. And so in examining a failure that you don't like, that you're not blaming somebody else for, 
or you didn't have your bird rolling a hole, but it was something in one of those three things, what you, if you want to take this seriously and perhaps prevent more failures like this, for one, understand the components of the failure. Preparation before, the, the, what you did on the line, or the handling of the dog out in the field. It's going to fall in one of those three categories. And if you can break that down without the emotion, without the blame, pretend it was somebody else that you were watching, you were observing, you'd seen all week them preparing, you'd seen them run, you'd seen... So what would you, what would you advise them to do? Did the dogs, if, the, if it's in the dog's attitude, if it's in the dog's responsiveness to you, if the dog is uh, tuning you out, all right, that's what's in the dog's head. And you brought that dog to the line that way. Were you aware of that? What have you done now looking backwards, hindsight, 2020 hindsight? Is there something you did that maybe made that dog go in there with that mindset? Is there something that was in your mindset that you've done that you went up there with one that was not going to uh, engender cooperation or whatever? Then when you're on the line, you know, break stuff down. What did you miss? What did you miss? When you're up there on the line and your dog didn't see the third bird go down or the fourth bird go down or your dog, you know, didn't even notice something that you needed them to notice, or they didn't move when you asked them to move. What was there something in that area that looking back, you might have done better. And then now your dog's out there and whether you're handling or, or doing whatever you're doing, you know, did your dog suddenly stop taking casts? Did your dog, what did they do? All right. What happened that made them do that? A lot of times, if you let them go a long time on a, say, a blind, or, or they've hunted a long time on a mark, and now you try to handle, they're like, nah, no, 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 I, I'm on a mark, I'm going to hunt it up. So, you know, should you have handled sooner? Next time, would you think about that? I, and I can't just break this down into all of the zillions of those things that there are, but it's going to be something that is without the emotion and the personal stuff that you look at and wonder, is there something I did that got into that dog's head ahead of time? Or is there something I didn't do that I should have to get into that dog's head? Running dogs well is not something that you get quickly. You ju it's just like being a good, I'm going to say heart surgeon, a good attorney, a good accountant, whatever it is. It, you don't just go to school, read the books, pass a test, and you're good at it. Then you have to go practice, 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 practice. There will be mistakes. There will be failures. And as the time goes by and you acquire more knowledge about these three elements of this stuff, the preparation, the execution, and then what you do when they're out there, when you, when you understand that and you can start to eliminate ones that you've created, failures, negative things that you've brought in there that you can fix and adjust. And that takes time. So if you're experiencing some of your first failures, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you best get used to this. But what you want to do to, to minimize future ones is to learn something good from this failure, learn something from it and take it forward. Particularly if it's just you and your dog, 
You know, it, you can just focus constantly on that and you can constantly improve the preparation, the execution, and then the carrying everything out. You can get better and better and better at that and become more and more aware. And as with more experience, then you begin to eliminate some of the things that you do that contributes to this, or you, you become aware of things that affect your dog a certain way. And so you change that to make it work better. It just doesn't happen right when you want it. And it, the worst thing that can happen to people sometimes is have a lot of success right at the beginning. Cause they're going, and I was one of them. I, that was me when I started in field trials and I placed in the first year, in every field trial I ran, I was derbies and qualifiers, placing every one. I thought, this is fun. I like this. Why? This is really cool. And then when I, you know, got a little further, <laughs> I found out, wait, this, wait, this is not, this is hard. And, and I'm, you know, I, it's not what I thought. And when I finally realized that, you know, I got lucky with some really good dogs that just did some, and it, the field trials were a little bit easier when I was young than they are now. I thought it was hot stuff. I was not. And so failure really began to show me my, my weaknesses and change my perspective and humble the holy heck out of me. So I realized, okay, maybe I'll never be good at this, but I'm going to try just a little bit to get this a little bit better right now. And that's what I would offer to people who have had a lot of success and then you run into some failure. That's kind of how this works. And you can use that failure to, uh, to refine how you approach this, to refine how you analyze this, to make you understand that your emotion, uh, understandable though, is not helpful, but being able to have some critical thinking about, and I don't mean critical negative. I mean, analytical type stuff, looking at this, being honest, backing it up to the, the work you've done before, the test before, and just work through this. Nobody, nobody, I think, can tell you. The reason you, unless you just did something ridiculous, had your dog pointed 90 degrees the wrong way, nobody can tell you why you failed, but you can. If you sit back and look at this and isolate stuff in the preparation, in the mindset of the dog, and in the execution, where all the details taken care of, were you aware of all the aspects that need to be present? So failures are, and now I'm going to get a little bit on the rah-rah uh, side. Failures are your opportunity to get better. I don't see people getting better when they are succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. I certainly did it in the beginning. I just thought I was awesome. I was not. And those successes just made me more convinced of that. And then when reality hit and I started finding out how really difficult it can be, um, Finally, then I began to learn, and that's when I began to improve. And I think it's true of all of us. So failures are no fun. Failures are disappointing. Failure, but don't just go, yeah, well, it happens and keep going. Use it. Instead of just having one and having it not benefit you at all, have your failure. Look at it analytically, not emotionally, not judgmentally, not blaming something, but look at where, what po were possible reasons where something was, a, where was the weak link? Where did something break down? And what can you do to make sure that that might not happen again? So that would be my, my take on failure. Failure is part of the deal. And it's, uh, you know, it's just part of it. And again, as opposed to the emotion, 
just use it. That's what I try to do when I go out there and my dog just quits handling at the end of the blind, something I've had recently. You know, I'm, I'm not mad at the dog. The dog doesn't have to pay for it. I'm not even mad at me. I'm just sitting there going, listen, you got to figure this one out. You've got to take a step back and find out why this is happening and what you can do. And then you can actually improve and also not be so unhappy or so disappointed all the time because that is just not fun and it's not very useful. All right, those are the questions. That's what uh, today's is going to be. Um, G's doing really well. We're kind of, you know, just kind of going through the boring stuff. Uh, her sister's also doing really well. And uh, can she can swim now. I put the video on. Uh, she can swim. Looks like a dog swimming. So that's perhaps my greatest G victory. I didn't mention that at the front of all. And we're real happy about that. So I wish everybody well. Good luck with everything everybody's doing. Uh, do good dog work. And G and I will be back.